Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, hi, and welcome any visitors to Paramount Church. If you are visiting us today, we're so glad you're here with us, and we'd certainly love to meet you. And so if you if you are new here and, and you'd uh, like to learn more about our church, certainly you can see any member of our worship team, our pastors, our welcome team, which is usually at the, uh, at the front doors uh, and the exits uh, before and after church. So with that, uh, we're going to start by uh, worshiping together. So please stand with us and let's continue in song.
Christ our hope in life and death. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord now and always. Sing it again, we rejoice. Delight in the love he has shown us. Gratefully lift up your voice. His gentleness among us will join our hearts with praise.
Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeying and going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeying by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead as that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be? die for me. Amazing love, how can it be 
the time in our service where we'll uh, uh, pray together a responsive prayer. So we are going to be praying again from the Valley of Vision, and I will uh, lead us and the congregation will respond. 
Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is yours, made by your word, upheld by your power, governed by your will. But you are also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. You have been mindful of us, have visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to you in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience sufferings, to magnify the law both in its precepts and penalties, and made it honorable, that they may be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of your grace prepare us for your dispensations. Make us willing that you should choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use, not abuse, its advantages. Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all, cause Jesus paid it all, all to him I Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spot. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as
raise this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life. Let's lift our voices. Oh, praise. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life still repeat cause Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow God, thank you for that most amazing truth, Lord, that you took a debt that only we owed, that you didn't know, Lord, and you paid a price that we could not pay, Lord. Lord, thank you for paying that price, paying it all. Lord, we didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Thank you for your most amazing love, your most amazing grace, Lord. Let us just sit and dwell in the understanding of that grace and love and your mercy, Lord, right now. Pray that our hearts would be opened, our minds would be cleared, we'd be focused on you and your word, that you would teach us through Pastor Isaac, Lord, that we would be changed, that your word would take root. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, you can be seated, and all children ages fourth grade and below can exit the sanctuary and join your teachers for Children's Church. morning. So good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I'd love to encourage you to open with me to the book of Philippians. We're looking still at chapter one as we close out this chapter, our first chapter in the book of Philippians. As we've been thinking about uh, this letter together for the last uh, several weeks, and we will continue to in the weeks to come. We've been reminded as we've been looking at this book again and again that this is a book about happiness. 
This is a book that uses words like joy over and over and over again. And we have found that this sort of happiness strikes us in a a kind of odd way. It's an unexpected kind of word. It's 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 striking, and we and we think, is that really the right word to get at what we're what we're trying to say? And, and we want to we want to try to hear again week after week as we listen to this letter. Yes, that is the right word. This is the right thing that we should be trying and seeking to hear from this because it is the message that's being communicated to us. It is shaking us. It should be causing us to rethink some of the very foundations of our spiritual life. Maybe there are things that we have not considered that we need to be considering as we look at this. And so I hope that as we're walking through these verses together, we are truly considering this idea of what does happiness mean for us as Christians and what is the place for it in the Christian life. Here this morning, as we read these verses, I'd like you to join me just by reading through the few verses that we'll be looking at this morning. I'm going to begin here by reading in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. We read the Apostle Paul. He says this, "...only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you." that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a, design, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and this too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer on his behalf, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. We have here Paul giving us and telling us a a bit of a, a summing up of what he's saying. He's trying to draw out for us what's important. We see that in the first word there of verse 27, only pay attention It's almost like saying, if nothing else, at minimum, I want you to get this. I want you to be able to live like this. And what does he say? He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Think for a moment about what do you think when you hear that? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, we, we might think about uh, conduct like this or as a, as a list of rules of, of things that we have to do. We think of, you better live up to this standard or, or you will be shamed or you won't be allowed this or you won't be allowed that. What does this sort of worthy thing mean? And what we want to try to do this morning is to be able to see the way that this gospel-shaped conduct has, is, is grounded and rooted in the kind of happiness that we're talking about. There is such a thing as conduct in keeping with the gospel. We see this in places in the New Testament. We can see that essentially the argument of book after book and chapter after chapter of the New Testament tells us that when you believe these truths, 
When the, when the basic truth of who God is, who he created you and the world to be, that, that all of the world has fallen because of the, the consequences of sin, of, from Adam and Eve to all the way down to you and I and beyond. When we see that that is the reality of the situation that we're in, except that Jesus Christ has come, that he has taken on the penalty of our sin, that he went to the grave and came out the other side, and we look ahead with confidence and hope and victory. When we believe those outlines, those contours of life, everything starts to change. The kind of behavior that we will want to live changes. The sorts of things that we would want to do begins to change. We can see places like in Galatians, perhaps you've read that, where Paul and Peter have a conflict. And Paul is essentially able to tell Peter, listen, the the way that you're acting is not in step with the gospel. It's not in line or in keeping with the gospel. The truth is, if we've believed these truths the truths that we confess again and again, the truths that we sing again and again, the truths that we're reminding ourselves as we read through Old Testament and new examples in ABF, again and again reminding ourselves, it shapes a view of reality that others cannot see. One kind of almost trivial example, but I just, I kind of found helpful in thinking about this week is have you ever seen, or I know you've, many of you have been, the, the kids playing a sport outside? What kind of hap- what happens is that you just sort of find a, a field, and this has to become the football field or the baseball field. And, and you can't play the game until you've kind of set up some lines. Like that tree over there, that's going to be first base. That fence back there, that's, that's, the out, that's the end. That's a home run if it gets past that point. And you start to draw lines. You don't draw the lines just to make the rules. That They're having fun. They want to play the game. It's joy, but that game isn't possible until they can see that field. Until what to everyone else looks like blank and has nothing, just geographic trees and hills and stuff like that. Now, that brown patch right there, that's first base. The lines are drawn and others cannot see them. Now, I know that's trivial, but in so much of a more real way, you and I have had lines drawn for us. And they're that way for our happiness and for our joy. The the gospel has come into our lives and we want to express it. We want to live it. We want the the next part of our lives to be an expression of that joy, to be that fun. But it happens when those lines are drawn and when they're real. This is a similar way to the way that the gospel creates a new reality for us. Certain actions become kind of out of bounds for us as Christians. They're things that we, we wouldn't do. We wouldn't want to be a part of those things. It's so easy, though, for us to miss the joy, for us to not have the happiness in our lives. These these lines, this pattern of reality that God has set before us and given us his word to help us see becomes invisible to us. 
We can't see uh, why would we do this? And why would God say this? And why am I living here? Why does life feel like this? Why would God make this happen in my life? Maybe we'd be tempted to dismiss the things of the Bible or the things of faith. Oh, these aren't really all that important. We don't see the lines. You might even be feeling kind of apathetic about faith, missing the regular patterns, but not seeing the gospel and its consequences means that you are not reckoning with the seriousness of the situation. Like a cancer patient not recognizing that they're dying. When we can't see the picture of what God is doing in our lives, we fall back on what we know. And many of us know rule keeping. I will do this and this and this, and that will, that will make me feel better. But that's not the gospel. We, we need to be reminded again and again that we are not good enough on our own. We can't do well enough on our own. And some of us are tempted to say, well, God just, God will forgive. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But that robs you of joy when you take away the, the, the weight of the gift of salvation. It is such an amazing thing that God has given to us. We don't want our view of God's work of the gospel to be flattened. We don't want the work of Jesus to be reduced. We don't want to try to lay claim on something that belongs to him. Instead, we want to find our way to this view of gospel-shaped conduct. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's a view of the, the actions of believers where their conduct, their actions, the way they live as citizens in community with one another is driven and shaped by the gospel. Look at the kinds of things Paul says about these believers and the things that he says about this gospel-shaped conduct. This gospel-shaped conduct, when it's rooted in joy, it can foster a kind of resilience. Look at what Paul says. Whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear about you. And what does he say? He wants to hear about them. He says, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together. Their, uh, their conduct has a kind of resilience to it when it's rooted in happiness. And that can be true of you and I as well. He says of them and their conduct, this, this, kind of, uh, this kind of conduct is not dependent on whether Paul is there or not. Do you hear him say that? He says, look, whether I can make it there, I want to make it there, I want to be there. But even if I can't, I know that what I want to see is this. It's a sort of integrity. This is the, the kind of things that we, we tell and remind our children, right? Of integrity, sort of doing the right thing, whether or not your parent is watching, right? That's the same sort of thing that he's looking at here. It's a conduct that isn't driven by something outside telling you what to do, but rather it's something inside, a change heart, a change life. It's not just fear of punishment or, or something like that. Rather, there is a transformed life that causes and allows this kind of resilience. 
We see the word here, striving together. We should hear in that word a sense of, of struggle, of fighting. They're, they're comrades, uh, brothers in arms, that sort of thing. And we'll look together in, in a little bit about the, the part that is the community aspect of it. But, but listen here, do you hear it? This struggling together, speaking to those who will survive and, and stand firm to the end. The word is used of people who've been through war. This gospel conduct gives this sort of strength to endure. Look at what else he says in, in verse 28. Paul says, in no way alarmed by your opponents. Listen, for you and I, as it was for them, fear will always be a temptation. There will always be a concern of, well, well what if? There will be doubts in God's goodness. There will be these things that will tempt our hearts. But the idea here is for these who, who have this, this gospel-shaped conduct, rooted in happiness, rooted in joy, that fear, those thoughts, they don't have the last day. They're not alarmed. They're not intimidated by those who would say something else or tell them untruths. Rather, the gospel gives the ability to make it through. Brothers and sisters, the gospel speaks hope to your lives this morning. It gives us a new way of looking at the world. It gives us a kind of steadfast approach to life. We can think of places like in, in the Old Testament. You remember the story in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they're going to be thrown into the furnace, and they say, go for it. God can save us, and you know what? Even if he doesn't, I'm not going to worship an idol. That's that confidence. That's the kind of steadfastness that a believer in Jesus Christ can have. And I love that story because if you read it, you know what happens. There were three people they throw into the furnace. And then when they're looking at the furnace later on, they say, huh, can we just throw three people in there? And there's a fourth. God himself is with his people in the suffering, bringing them through it. That kind of steadfastness is possible even for you and I. It was possible for Paul as he was imprisoned. It was possible for the prophets and others who were told were, were ripped limb from limb and all sorts of terrible things happened to them. But they weren't shaken. They had a hope, a no doubt it will be successful. We see it in Christians all the time who are willing to give up a promising career to go on the other side of the world or tell people about Jesus or someone who might uh, give up their reputation or clout to serve somebody. And we see again and again the way that the world prizes things like grit, this stick to itness that they try to describe. And we say as Christians who know our Bible, yeah, we know something about that. We know something about that. It is all possible because of this happiness. That kind of gospel-shaped confidence, that sort of resilience, that sort of life is possible because of what's going on in the heart. It's because of what God has completed in their heart. 
And so as, as an application for this, we want to remember that in order to change behavior, when we're looking at the outside, we need to nourish the root. It's the happiness at the base that causes this kind of steadfastness, this kind of conduct, these kinds of impossible things that God does with his people. He does it because there's a view of, of who God is that's nourished in their hearts, a view of all that they have and all that belongs to them that is nourished in their hearts. The root is nourished, and that's what leads to change. This is a call and a need for us and it is crucial. I think it's crucial because there are so many people, and I'm seeing it way, way too often, where there are people who claim to be Christians who don't outright deny the faith. But you can watch as as, as the habits and the patterns that should be nourishing the root begin to, to take a back burner. They don't, uh, you know, church just isn't really all that important. And the Bible reading, nah, well, if I can get to it, maybe. And the prayer, oh gosh, prayer's hard, right? Everyone says prayer's hard, so, so maybe I'm not gonna do that great at that. I know there are people like that because sometimes that's me. I can speak to my own heart. Sometimes I forget that these things matter. That, that to see the root nourished, to see this kind of joy and happiness real in my life, I cannot let these things fade into the background. I would always say that it's important, but they can slip. And there's this nagging voice that, you know, even though things feel kind of crazy and they feel kind of out of control, maybe, maybe I should have been doing those things, but, but oh, it, it can't be that. It must be something else. I'll work harder. I'll try better. And we read in the New Testament about believers being tossed to and fro. We read about those leaving the community of faith because they were not of us in 1 John. And it's true that sometimes we can feel tossed around. You know, maybe in all this talk about happiness and joy, it, it feels like this stuff is kind of speaking to somebody else. Like, I don't have that. That's not how I'm living. You feel like you can't get it. I don't feel it. I don't have it. I'm trying to do all the right things, and I can't make it work. I can't get there. What is the missing piece? What are we not getting right? We see the value of nourishing the root and doing all these right things. These are the behaviors that Christians live. This is the conduct that we're supposed to be living. But what's the missing piece? The missing piece comes to us in the following verse. Look at verse 29. And I want to kind of split it up and just look at the first part of it. Do you hear what he says? For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. Stop there. Middle of a thought there. Do you, do you hear what Paul just assumed? He's going to go on and make the next point. That's even more striking. But before we get there, look at this. It has been granted. It has been given. It is of grace that you believe in him. 
if we want to know about the source, the root of this gospel-shaped conduct, this profound sense of happiness and joy, we need to know that we're not ultimately talking about all of the things that we do. We're talking about what we've been given. God has done this work. It has been given to you. It is baked into the way that Paul sees the world, but it is so striking for us. It's something that we've already seen again and again through this chapter in Philippians. We see the work that Paul wants to do. We see all of these things that he's saying that, that need to be happening. But whether, whether he's in prison or whether we are suffering or whether people are proclaiming Jesus with the right motives or with mixed motives, whether they're living or they're, whether they're dying, the confidence that Paul has is that it's not resting on his work. If he can't ever get out of jail, God still wins. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, if he has transformed your heart, then you have that confidence about your own life. Success, the success of everything, depends on God's work, not on ours. There's this concept that maybe you've, maybe you've heard about or maybe that you're aware of, sometimes referred to as a kind of happiness paradox, where the, the more things that people get that would seem to make them happy, there's sort of a certain point where it doesn't work anymore. You can't get any more happiness. Aristotle, uh, all the way back even before Jesus, understood and talked about how happiness isn't something that you can seek on its own. You can't just, oh, let me try to be happier. Instead, what he found was it was something that came about as a byproduct of other things, of the way that you live your life. And so you and I should see and know and understand that if we want to be this sort of people driven by this kind of happiness, then we need to know that it is, it is the work of God. When we see the work that God is doing, when we understand this astounding and amazing gift that he has given by causing people who were dead and rebels and running away to believe and place their hope and trust in Jesus, there's a joy that explodes in our hearts. We can't cause it. You can't memorize enough Bible verses where you unlock the, the, the secret at the end. God does it. It's his work. And so if we want to seek to live this, then we need to, by way of application, pray for joy to be the thing that drives you. We need to pray for happiness to be the thing that drives us because we cannot and do not get that on our own. Instead, we have a sort of self-forgetfulness. This is no longer about us trying to run the race, win the prize, do all of the things. In fact, we see that God is the one who's doing everything, and we have confidence that he's completing it, and he's doing it. And so there is this additional striking feature about this gospel-shaped conduct, this conduct that's rooted in happiness. Look what Paul says and the way that he talks about the community, the people of God. All of this is reading those things together. 
whether I come in verse 27 and see you or remain absent. All of those yous, by the way, are plurals. He's talking to the, to the church, to, to a community. He says, I want to hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, many people, one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. This kind of uh, self-forgetfulness, when we realize that it's God's work, not our own, takes us out of the center of everything and puts us into this larger community, this larger story, this bigger project that God is working on. We see it in all of these words, this one spirit, that united feeling, this one mind, this, uh, the same idea of the goal of the gospel of the place that we're headed. We realize that we're not the center of the story. We say stuff like that, but do you realize like how, how uh, radical that is to the, the way of thinking that we're being uh, given again and again daily from the world? Everything around you right now is about personalization and customization. Everything can be tailored exactly to you and your needs. And then what you can do is you have your own uh, version of broadcasting that out to the world of your story and your journey and the way that you live. Everything is, is on ourselves as if we're the center of our own stories and other people all around us become these kind of uh, you know, non-player characters for you gamers. People in the background, they don't really interact. Once the gospel has hold of us, we're broken out of this kind of self-centered view of life. God is the center of the story. It's not us. He's at work all around us. And you know, it should be easy for us to recognize this. We all have friendships. We all have relationships. And you know from those, if you're married especially, but even if you're not, you know from your friendships, that those work best when you put the other person first. When, when each person on both sides is looking for ways to, to give and serve that relationship. Yeah, there, there, are, there are ways to manipulate. There are one-sided relationships. But at their best, hopefully you've experienced at least a few of these relationships in your life where each is seeking the better of the other. It's like a team where no one's trying to be the star, but everyone will do their part for the bigger picture the greater whole, the larger target. C.S. Lewis talked sometimes about friendship. And there's one particular uh, moment where he discusses what it means to be a friend and the things that are unique about friendship. And he talks about the idea of recognizing in another person this moment that he describes as, you too? Like, I thought I was the only one who enjoyed this thing, who, who thought this way who did this thing like that. And, and that moment, that, that you too, I, I thought it was just me. We're together. We both love this thing like that. That is a moment that he talks about as being crucial to friendship. 
And I want to suggest to you that it's those kinds of you too moments that foster the unity of faith in Jesus Christ. Because we recognize we all have the same outline of a story in our lives. The details are different, but all of us have recognized our own sin. We've all seen the grace of Jesus Christ poured out in our lives if we are Christians. And we can have then this unity of mind, of spirit, looking for you too moments. So I want to encourage us all to think about those this week. Look for those opportunities. Look for those you too moments because they create opportunities to to build on this unity of the faith. I'm going to do something crazy this morning. We're going to go beyond three points. We're going to have four. Look out. As we begin to see these things, if we adopt this this view of of a gospel-shaped conduct, if we try to see happiness at the center, it does something crazy yet. Read with me verses 29 and 30 again. Paul says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer on his behalf, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. When this gospel-shaped conduct finds its root in happiness in our lives, we see these, these gospel lines drawn out in our lives. We, we see a new reality around us. It changes our view of everything. It, it makes us resilient. It makes us people for community. But it transforms everything right down to the way we experience suffering. Look at what he says. He says, it has been granted, given, freely by grace to you to suffer. Paul, what are you thinking? That sounds crazy. This view of happiness, this kind of joy, it creates people who can embrace suffering as a gift. You know, the only way that I can uh, begin to try to wrap my mind around this is, again, a kind of uh, simple uh, picture. Many of you are familiar with the the famous marshmallow experiment. This is a really, really decades-old psychological experiment where little children were given one marshmallow, and it's set on a table in front of them, and they're told, if you can sit here and, and wait out the timer for a period of time, you, you'll get two marshmallows. But if you want to just eat the one, you can just have one. And what they found, of course, is striking. Some of the kids are, are like tortured. They're like, oh, no. They're, there are videos you can watch on YouTube. They're like tortured. They're like, oh, I can't. They don't they, like they only look at it. I'm going to hide my eyes. They've got all sorts of strategies they're using. And some of them just, you know what, give up. I'm going to eat the marshmallow. And some of them don't. 
And what they found was that there's actually a predictive power, and it's been sort of replicated a few times, at least the, the gist of it, although some of the details tend to be different, that those ones who are able to wait it out, to wait for a hope, that's, to wait for something yet to come, okay, don't take this now, there's something better on the other side. Those ones tend to live better, they had, they had better outcomes on all sorts of measures in their lives. What a tiny little thing that is. But you and I, we got marshmallows all over the place in our lives. We've got joys that we, we feel like we should have. I deserve to have this kind of house and this kind of family and this kind of income and this kind of success. And this is what I should have now. I want it, I want it here. I want it now. But there is something so much greater than marshmallows waiting for us. There is a a joy that we are beginning to taste in our lives even now. You can hear this in the words that we already read this morning, but I want you to hear them again from the book of Hebrews where we read, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, And having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things, they make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We get, you and I, brothers and sisters, to taste the sweetness of that heavenly city even now. There is a work that God is doing in the lives of believers causing us to to taste and to enjoy this sort of sweetness. It happens when we gather together as, as brothers and sisters. It happens when we, when we receive an encouraging text from somebody, reminding us about how God has been faithful in their lives. There are all sorts of ways that it happens. God in his grace has given us these foretastes And if we want to live this, if we want to be these kind of people, driven by this kind of joy and happiness, then we need to train our hearts to say, not yet. We'll get there. Not yet. There's something coming and it's good. Not yet. Here's something that I feel like I should have. God hasn't said so. There's something better waiting for me. There's a better country, a better place. It's, it's this, this change in our lives that allows us to have the same view that Paul does about life that we heard about last week. Look, it's happy, it's good if I'm here, and it's happy and good if I go. It doesn't matter what happens. The end for me is joy. That's the kind of life that you and I get to live. It's good. Yeah, bad things are going to happen along the way, but even those are going to be turned, transformed into joy. 
Instead of thinking about a, a ball field where we're imagining something that's not real onto the landscape, we, we need to realize that what the gospel does for us is it reveals the reality, the lines that are already there, and it helps us to see something bigger and better and more real. It's just that others around us can't see it yet. So you and I, we can find ourselves wrapped up in this joy, rooted in this happiness, knowing that it's joy on the one hand and happiness on the other. There's no way out for the believer but victory. For you and I, we have this kind of way of living because we know that it is joy upon joy, happiness upon happiness. So may all of us go out from this place this morning living as if we believe that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the word that you have given to us. We thank you for your constant faithfulness to us. I praise you in knowing that even though there are things that you have called us to do, we can have confidence that, that you are completing the work in our lives, that you have given us the gift of faith, that you are working in our lives, causing and stirring happiness and joy, even when in the moments where we can't quite feel it. Help us to strive for that. Help us to long to know you. Help us to have our lives transformed by the work that you have done. Allow us to see the, the, the tasks that are set out before us, the spiritual realities that are before us every day, conversations that we could have, relationships that are open to us, we pray that you help us to see the work that you're doing beneath the surface. And may it all for all of us be driven by joy. Help us to be happy people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us as we continue in worship.
Well, we're going to continue, as we always do, with uh, one final song. And as we continue with uh, worshiping through uh, singing and, and lifting our voices, we'll also continue our worship through the giving of tithes and offerings. Uh, and uh, as we do, and after this song, Pastor Rush will come up and share a few announcements and dismiss us. But let's continue to celebrate uh, the source, the, the root, uh, the foundation, the giver, the grantor of that joy, that light, that hope, that strength, and that's our Savior Jesus Christ.
Well, this has been such a wonderful time for us to be in worship and in God's Word together. I hope that you are benefiting the way that I am from this sermon series because I, I think like you, need to learn how to be happy. And we're really getting so much truth from God's Word in this very important part of the Christian life, and I'm really grateful for that. Before we dismiss, I want to share a few announcements. Uh, a reminder that the ladies' Bible study will continue today at 4 o'clock right upstairs in the Fellowship Hall. Around here, it's Philippians all day, every day for right now. And uh, I want to make sure that you know, ladies, if you have not been able to be a part of this study yet, or maybe you're new to our church and this is the first time you're hearing about it, please don't let anything stand in your way from getting involved. Even though it's been going on for a few weeks, you will be warmly welcomed. You'll be caught up. You'll be made to feel at home. You don't need to let anything keep you from being a part of that and just jumping in where we are and continuing forward. So I want to encourage you uh, with that. Also, I want to remind you that sneaking up on us very fast is Good Friday and Easter, April 7th and April 9th. So now is the time to be inviting those that you think would come with you to one of those services on Good Friday or Easter morning. And please remember that the reason that we encourage inviting to something like that is not so that people can come and see. We are grateful for our church. We're grateful for our church building. But let's be honest, it's not a lot to look at. We're not inviting people to come and see. We're doing something even more than that. When we invite to Good Friday or Easter morning or any Sunday or any activity of the church, we are inviting people into the happiness of Christ, into the joy of our church and the gospel. And so please use this as an opportunity to reach out to people who need to hear the gospel and come to faith in Christ, those you've been praying for, others who are in need, though Christians, of a healthy local church. We want to invite them to those opportunities. This month is particularly important when it comes to church planting. This is church planting month for our church and leading up to Easter morning. We have uh, a special mark of this month, which is the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's one of two special offerings above and beyond our regular giving to the church, which goes to support church planting around North America. Ten years ago and beyond at this point, our church was greatly helped by those resources and the faithful giving of Christians in churches like ours now. Our church plant on the west side of Columbus, Redemption Hill, they benefit and are helped by these resources. And so I want to encourage you, as you're inviting, also be praying and thinking about what you and I could give as a church to this special offering to support uh, church planting. And that would be a great opportunity for us to, to really express our hearts for the gospel going out into our communities. And in the very last announcement, we recently had a discovery class, new member class, and we're planning another one. 
if you need to attend a new member class, you're new to our church, you're ready to join, you're new to our church, and you're just wanting to learn more about our church, that's your opportunity. So please reach out to us. You can let one of the pastors know. You can let your community group leader know, and they will let us know that you're interested, and we'll get another class scheduled right away. So those are announcements for this morning. Thank you so much for being here and gathering together, uniting our voices, our hearts around the gospel as we're wanting to learn to be happy. Now is our opportunity as we dismiss from here. I hope you have a wonderful and happy afternoon as we use these truths in our lives. So we'll see you uh, very soon this week at Community Group and, uh, and continue to pray for one another as we walk this life together as Christians in the hope and happiness of the gospel.